1: What's up everybody? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast. Today is Monday, June 11th, 2018. I am a very sunburned because I'm an idiot and played frisbee golf out in the park for hours in the hot Florida sun with no sunblock on this weekend, Patrick Moran. On today's show, a show I'm all kinds of excited about, I have a guest that I'm all kinds of excited about. I'll be joined by former 17-year NBA veteran, one of my personal favorite New York City-born point guards ever. And if you're from New York, you already know how many great New York City-born point guards there have been. Rod Strickland joins the Moranalytics podcast today. I may be excited, but not as excited as Chris Webber was When on Inside the NBA in 2017, he used these words to describe Rod Strickland.
2: And this guy right here, had the okay. best handles Ooh. you would never know, Drick. Rod Strickland. It looked like he was going to lose it at any time, oh, and I'm Dang. telling you, he was the best finisher under 6'4 that I ever played yeah. with that game. Oh. the league in the 6'6", Rod I Strickland. Him, Wherever you're at, I'm I love far, you, baby. Man. You made my game better. Drick. He was so cold, man. No hey, way he's he's here.
1: Take- we'll be talking about his career from start to end, why he chose to go to DePaul for college, the shock and surprise that he felt when he was drafted by his hometown team, the New York Knicks, and why that quickly didn't work out for Rod. We talk about some of the trials and tribulations, and there were many during an outstanding career playing with it against many of the greatest players of the past 30 years. You know, speaking of, I also hit Rod with the inevitable MJ versus LeBron question in comparison, and he tells me don't do that don't talk about the GOAT. You can't have a conversation without having two other players included. So we talk about that. Of course, like I said, we talk about LeBron. We talk about the greatness that is the Golden State Warriors after winning a title, what, three and four years, sweeping the shit out of the Cavs. We talk about his godson, Kyrie Irvin. Yes, I said his godson, and a whole lot more. It's a great interview. I promise NBA fans that especially fans who love the 90s and early 2000s. You're going to love this interview. I'll get to that in just a few minutes. Right now, I'm joined by Tone Pucks, my Monday Pat with Pucks partner. What's up, dude? Yo, I see the weather up there in the 716 has been pretty
0: kind lately. It has been, man. It has been. I, I uh, got in a round of golf today, which, which is very rare for me. Not because like I'm real busy or anything, just... You know, the sport has kind of passed me by. But, you know, we had the uh, the old uh, Western New York certified football officials uh, tournament today. And uh, so I went out went out there, hacked the course up a little bit. Good temperature, not a lot of sun. And, uh, yeah, it, it caps off a pretty good week of weather, man. No doubt. We'll take it.
1: <laughs> good stuff. All right. So, listen, we'll get to our regular Pad with Puck segment later on in the show after I play the Rod Strickland interview. For that, though, I do want to talk about a topic from my last podcast last Thursday with my interview with Mary Kay Cabot. We were talking about the Browns being better on paper. And, you know, she named off a bunch of players that they've added through the draft and free agency, et cetera. It got me thinking, you know, you combine that with a lot of negative things that analysts are predicting for the Buffalo Bills in 2018. I got to ask you this question you think the Browns are going to end up winning more games in 2018 than the Bills?
0: I think there's a very good chance of it, you know, after, after listening to that a little bit and I I enjoyed it quite a bit. I've, I've followed uh, Mary Kay for a couple of years now, you know, since she first came on, on my radar with some Brown stuff um, a couple of years ago. So, I mean, I looked at, I started to look at the schedule to really kind of come up with an answer to that. And, I think the only thing that might keep that from happening is the fact that I, I think the Browns' schedule is a little tougher, at least as it relates to their uh, to their NFC schedule. You know, they've got the NFC South and that that's just a tough uh, that's a tough division to have to go against. But, you know, I, I I'd argue that their quarterback is better than ours. We've argued that, <laughs> you know, I'd argue that. You know, their division is, uh, you know, is weaker. We don't know what Bengals and Ravens are are really going to look like. And we know that as good as the Steelers are, they're not the Patriots. So, you know, I, I, I'd lay some money on uh, on, on the Browns uh, record being right there with the Bills. You know, that's for sure. I know
1: this is not going to be a popular opinion. I, I agree with you. There's the one reason why, in fact, the only reason why I think that Cleveland may not be better than Buffalo this year. And it's simple as this, maybe Hugh Jackson is just an awful coach. I mean, the guys won one game in two years. Now I understand that a lot of that roster, you know, in large parts, freaking trash, man. But how do you, you only win one game in two years. I'm stunned, especially the way Cleveland has turnover so much in the front office usually the head coach is definitely the roster i'm kind of stunned he's still the coach right now to be honest with you
0: you you felt like the current cleveland quarterback masked a lot of the deficiencies um on the bills offensive line for the last couple of years and now we'll we'll see you know if he can mask some deficiencies on uh on cleveland's but you know you bring up a good point with with Hugh Jackson I think the Bills really have uh, the Browns in the, in the coaching department. And I I think that's, that might be true with general manager too. I mean, I'm sorry, but you know, John Dorsey that, you know, I I feel like Cleveland way overcompensated, you know, for what they feel was a mistake going with, uh, you know, an, an analytics driven front office. So, you know, they go with the with the complete opposite and the, you know, the football guy in in Dorsey. You know, I mean I think I think Bean's a better evaluator uh than Dorsey and I think McDermott's a better coach than than Hugh Jackson. And and I think the Bills defense uh belongs in any conversation where you're going to bet against the Buffalo Bills. So, you know, that Monday morning quarterback assessment of the Bills I just don't know how how well it accounts for the side of the football that I think we both think they're going to be in the upper echelon in the NFL. Well, I could
1: tell you this, we're agreeing way too much, way too early in this podcast right now, but I guess it's talent for Cleveland versus better management for Buffalo in the battle of who'll have a better record. It's definitely going to be fun to watch. Now, real quick, conversely, this is where I think there's an, an over-exaggeration. Um, MMQB, which is, you know, part of SI, saw an article this week. They predicted the Bills are going to have the worst record in the NFL. I don't see any possible way that happens, but maybe I'm being a homer here. Do you?
0: No, but, you know, as we've talked about before, I understand why the Bills are are a posh pick to be the worst team in the NFL. I don't get it. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, it's about the quarterback. It's 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 about one quarterback who was not at all in in, in a in a huge year for free agents with a a, um, a giant carousel of quarterbacks turning on days one and two of free agency. You know, this this guy got no got no love. All right. I'm speaking, of course, of AJ McCarron. So I've got I've got a veteran quarterback who, you know, was not in demand in a in a free agency period where many teams were in need, and I've got a rookie quarterback that probably had more warts than any top end, you know, uh, prospect, you know, that was projected to be going in the top ten you know for as long as i can i can remember so they've got very unpopular quarterbacks right now and that's going to dictate a lot when it comes to uh uh preseason progn- uh, prognostication and their skill possessions you know suck too so and, and the and the Incognito loss and the Wood loss you know people are looking at this offense and thinking that it's going to be the worst in the NFL and nobody's really given a shit uh, about what might be, you know, going well uh, on the other side of the ball. They just look at this offense, see a league where you need to score points to win and, uh, and don't see us scoring money. That ain't that much of a reach. <laughs> I'll
1: tell you what, let me play that interview with Rod Strickland and then we'll come right back with some Pat with Pucks, talk some bills, Little Sabres, NBA, and a couple other things. So here's an interview with Rod Strickland. Okay, my guest today played in the NBA for an incredible 17 years, and he happens to be one of my favorite point guards ever. He's 12th on the all-time NBA assist list with nearly 8,000 assists, and he's also 29th in NBA history with 1,616 steals. I'm talking about New York City born and raised, well, most of it anyway, Rod Strickland. What's up, Rod? Thanks for doing the podcast. Pumped to have you on today.
2: What's happening? man? Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm
1: really pumped to have you on. Like I said, I was a big fan of yours. Usually, you know, I have a lot of media guys on and it's kind of business, but in, today I'm going to be a little bit of a fanboy, so you might have to deal with that a little
2: bit. <laughs> That's
1: fine. I kind of want to go on your journey a little bit. So let's start being a kid, okay? So you grew up in the Bronx in New York City. You know, and New York City is known for producing legendary point guards. Was it like growing up in the Bronx, you know, knowing the rich history of playground hoops and especially with point guards in particular and from New York City?
2: Right. Well, I mean, just the atmosphere in New York, you know, especially growing up uh, uh, back then, you know, New York was a big deal. Uh, You know, basketball, New York was kind of the mecca. You know, if you if you walked out of New York City and people found out you were from New York, they sort of looked at you a different kind of way. Uh, so sort of, to sort of be able to uh, grow up, play against some of the best players, competition, playground to playground, uh, I looked up to my brothers uh, uh, and and the, and the and the older guys in my neighborhood. So you know, I was able to get a lot of inspiration from them. Uh, And then just, I mean, again, just New York City, uh, having to go out, play out in the park every day, you know, playing tournaments, kind of find your way, try to get on the court with all the guys. You know, that was like a rite of passage, uh, but you had to understand how to stay on the court with them, how to get on the court. So you had to be unselfish. You had to win. You had to be tough. You had to compete. So all those things kind of helped me later on.
1: Do you go to Truman High School? and you lead them to a state championship and you become in the process, one of the top recruited guards in the nation. First, what was the experience like winning a state championship? And secondly, I know you ended up transferring to Virginia. I believe you're senior, Oak Hill. My my first question is, what was that experience like winning a state championship in New York?
2: Uh, It was great. Well, first people don't know. I went to Rice high school my first year. uh, And then, I transferred because I wanted to play varsity. And back then, uh, when you was in ninth grade, you had to play freshman. When you was in tenth, you had to play JV. So I transferred to Truman High School up in the Bronx uh, so I could play uh, varsity basketball. And it was a great experience. I had a chance to play with one of my best friends. He was the point guard on the team. He actually told the coach uh, that that he needed to get me on the team. And and so I went to Truman in my second year there, which was my junior year. We won the city and state title, uh, played against some great teams, uh, great competition. And to this day, I'm always remember that, the camaraderie, uh, the teammates. I'm still friends with those guys. I still speak to those guys. It was just a great experience. I don't know if we thought, we, would, uh, especially in the beginning of the year, if we or anyone else thought we would be state champions. You know, we just kept getting better and better. And then by the end of the year, we were competing with everyone.
1: What about going to Oak Hill in Virginia for your senior year? What was the the decision behind that? I, I I remember from that time, that was like one of the most prestigious high school programs in the nation, correct?
2: Well, at that time, Oak Hill was just coming along. I don't know if Oak Hill was known like that. Uh, but I, ironically, I was at Truman. My high school coach left, Steve Lapis. He got an assistant coaching job at Villanova University. And the coach who wouldn't let me play Varsity and Rice wound up being the head coach at Truman. And so I really didn't want to play for him. And so uh, Steve Lapis kind of found Oak Hill Academy for me. I knew nothing about Oak Hill, never heard of it. Uh, and, you know, Lap told me it would be a good situation. Uh, made some phone calls. I went up there, you know, met uh, Larry Davis, who was the head coach at the time. Uh, he's now assistant coach at the University of Cincinnati. Steve Smith, who coaches now, was the assistant coach. And uh, you know, I went up to Oak Hill Academy from the Bronx, New York, to Mountville, Virginia. Uh, it was it was it was uh, it was definitely a different experience. It was a culture shock. You know, there was just farmland and maybe three or four buildings. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I got I got used to it. Well, to be honest, I, I wanted to come home several times. You know, I called home, told my mom that I wanted to leave, uh, but I, I stayed throughout the year. Uh, and it, it was it a was tough environment just because I was from the Bronx, New York. And now I'm in Oak Hill, but it was a great basketball experience uh, and it helped me, you know, to get to college.
1: All right, now let's turn our attention towards college. You end up going to DePaul. You're recruited. You choose DePaul. First of all, why did you choose DePaul, and secondly, what were a few of the other schools that you most considered?
2: Well, DePaul back then was a top five, top ten program. They was on national TV all the time, so they was on NBC. You know, back then we obviously we didn't have all these networks, uh, you know, the ESPNs and the Fox and all that. We didn't have that. So basically, basketball was on what was it, NBC and CBS?
1: Pretty much, yes.
2: Yeah. And then, you know, DePaul was on WGN, which is nationwide. WGN was in every city, every state. So I wanted to be on TV. DePaul played a fun up and down kind of basketball game. I was a fan of Mark O'Guire, Terry Cummins, uh, Kenny Patterson, Ty Corbin. Uh, and, and they had a they had a network of guards coming out of New Jersey, New York, uh, they had actually was Whitney brother, Gary Garland, Whitney Houston brother from Jersey. They had Kenny Patterson. Uh, and they had a couple other guys. So they kind of had a pop pipeline in uh, New York. You know, I watched them on TV all the time. I love their style of play. And actually I would have to say Paul, I probably recruited the Paul more than they recruited me. Like I, I was just, they didn't have to do a lot. I mean, they recruited me, but I was I was I was going to DePaul. I had other schools like Syracuse, Georgia, UNLV, and Villanova, and the University of Pitt, which was my second choice. Uh, so, but you know, DePaul. I, I love Chicago. Uh, you know, I just love the atmosphere, and I was a big Kenny Patterson fan, so I kind of followed I kind of followed his his lead. And
1: obviously you made the right choice. You go on to become an All-American. DePaul goes to the dance four straight years. You make the Sweet 16 twice. Let me ask you this, because like I said, you become an All-American. You become a star at DePaul. What's it like? It's probably your first taste of like, you know, celebrity to some point.
2: Yeah, well, it was it was an adjustment. Uh, but actually, I, I, I went to DePaul for three years of uh, Sweet 16 twice. But it was it was an adjustment. Uh, just cause I wasn't used to that. I was kind of a quiet guy, you know, I love playing basketball, but I wasn't all into the attention, but I loved the attention once I stepped on that court. So DePaul, like I said, it was a big time program, top 10, top uh, 15 or what have you. We kind of back then, you know, they had the Chicago bulls, but DePaul was really the, 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 the basketball team in the city. So we kind of was the big guys on, in, in the city and on campus. So that was a great feeling. Uh, and, you know, the adjustment really, it wasn't a whole lot. I, I i love playing basketball. I love competing. And, you know, that's what it was. So you go on in 1988,
1: you get drafted in the first round by the New York Knicks. Okay. So now on one hand, I'm sure it's a dream to get drafted in New York where you grew up from, of course, you know, on the other, it's a, it was a little peculiar considering the team had already had Mark Jackson, who was NBA rookie of the year the season before, now, granted, you had a really nice rookie season. You made NBA second all-team rookie, but still, what were your thoughts looking back on that time getting drafted by New York? Like I said, probably the thrill of going to your hometown city, but at the same time, it's like, all right, well, this team has a point guard. And what was your mindset like at that time?
2: Yeah, that was an interesting day. You know, draft day, I remember uh, I remember my agent and I remember reading, you know, I would go somewhere between 7 and 15 uh, then I got a phone call from Joey Meyer that day, uh, my head coach at the Paul University, and he told me I, I actually was dropping in the draft, or he got some phone calls from, I guess it was Boston and, and the Lakers who had the last two picks in the first round. So, you know, that kind of gave me a little nerves, but my agent told me that Seattle Supersonics would take me at 15, you know, if I was there, no way I'm getting past there. So I get to the draft and 15 goes by. I'm not drafted, so now I'm looking at the board and I'm like, who's next? I see all these teams, but it, but it seems like they all have guards. So now I'm looking at Boston and, and the Lakers and I'm like, wow, I may drop to them. And then the Knicks picked me. And the funny story about the Knicks, uh, Shelton Jones was a former teammate of Mark Jackson at St. John's University. And Mark was there in New York and Mark, Wanted the Knicks to pick Shelton. So actually, Mark was there sitting with Shelton. They were holding hands when the pick came. And so the crowd was all revved up and they said my name. And I actually got booed in my city. Wow. Like, I'm like, of all places in New York City, you know, I'm the street ball guy. You know, I'm... so uh, that was interesting. But when the Knicks picked me, obviously, I was happy to be drafted. But I did feel some kind of way because I'm like, they, they have the rookie of the year at point guard. So where does that leave me? I, you know, I wanted to come in. I wanted my own team. You know, I thought I was ready and capable. So that was tough. And then it's funny because I want to say it. the next day or two days later, me and Mark uh, were scheduled to play in a in a uh, in a, in a pro am tournament. So I mean, it was packed like packed outside, packed wall to wall. Everybody came to see me and uh, Mark Jackson battle, knowing that we would be teammates. Uh, and it was a really good game. We both played really well, but it was an interesting day. Uh, again, I was happy. I was excited, but then I felt some kind of way. Cause I didn't know, you know, I felt like, why did you pick me? You know, what are you going to do with me? You got the, the rookie of the year. So I didn't see a whole lot of uh, upside to that.
1: Let me backtrack here and ask this. I should have probably asked you this before talking about the Knicks. Very few prospects, get to go through a draft process where they get drafted. For you personally, from the time you were done at DePaul to the time you ended up getting drafted in the first round of the NBA, what was that whole process like for you during that time? Getting ready and probably, you know, I'm sure it's something you dreamed about as a kid. The realization that, you know, you're months or weeks or at that point, days away from being in the NBA. Just that whole process. Was it something that was a little bit, you know, difficult for you to wrap your head
2: around? It wasn't difficult at all. Like, I'm a, I'm a basketball guy, so all I thought about was basketball. You know, I felt confident that I could play. The only nerves were where I was going and when I was going. But as far as anything else, I, you know, I'm getting ready. I'm in the park. I'm doing regular things like I've normally done. It's not like now. You know, it's so sophisticated. You got the ages. They take you somewhere. You work out with some guys. I didn't do all that. I had my own workout uh older man who I worked out with, uh, uh, he was a guy I played with when I was younger. So he used to work me out. But a lot of time I spent in the gym and in the parks just playing basketball. So there was no like real, it was just different from now. And then I, I can recall going to, I think I went to Seattle uh, and met that team. I didn't really do all the workout stuff. We sat down and we had conversations, but it, it was different. It wasn't as hyped up. There wasn't so many things going on. So I was really focused on basketball, on me trying to get prepared and get ready uh, mentally and physically uh, to, to, to play basketball in the NBA. But it wasn't a whole lot to it. It was just nerves because I still was trying to figure out where I'm going and, and uh, you know what pick I would be in the draft. Okay, so the Knicks, year
1: rookie year, they win the Atlantic Division. You guys beat Boston in the first round, and then you lose to Chicago in six in round two. I looked up the stats. Michael Jordan averages 35.7 points per game that series, nine and a half rebounds, 8.3 assists that series against you guys. That was your first true taste of just how great Michael Jordan was as a player, wasn't it?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, all the other times we played him before that. but, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but obviously, you know, he, he showed why he was Michael Jordan, which, you know, I knew it was an incredible uh, feeling to be out there playing against the Bulls and trying to compete against them. Uh, But, you know, him, Scotty and and the rest of those guys, they had a great team, but it was a great experience. I enjoyed every bit of it. And I want to say, I don't know if it was the second game, I think Mark Jackson got in foul trouble or something, and I wound up playing a lot of minutes and and did pretty well. So that was a confidence booster in itself right there because I got a chance to play against the Bulls. Uh, You know, the great Michael Jordan, the great Bulls team, and to do pretty well against them. So that was a confidence booster.
1: So halfway through your second year, it becomes obvious that both you and Mark Jackson won't work on the same team. You end up getting traded to San Antonio for Maurice Cheeks. It's a good move for you. You end up averaging 11.2 that first half season. You come to the Spurs. San Antonio wins a division. You guys ended up coming up one game short in the second round of the playoffs. You lost to Portland in seven. How did you feel about coming to the Spurs and how tough was that Game Seven loss, if you can remember, to Portland in the playoffs? Because ultimately, that would probably become the closest you got, you know, to get into the NBA Finals.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, going to San Antonio, I was excited. You know, we had they had some young, talented players, obviously David Robinson, uh, but they also had Willie Anderson, Sean Elliott. Then they had vets like Terry Cummins. I think Sidney Green was there. So it was a uh, it was a great experience. I was excited. I was. Uh, I thought we had a great chance to do some great things. Uh, unfortunately, that Portland game. Never forget it, uh, and I never forget the mistake I made. I threw a behind-the-head pass uh, to to who I thought. Well, what I, what I thought was a cut in Sean Elliott, who veered out to the corner, which I should have known because I play with him all the time. And uh, so I never forget that play, obviously, because I made the turnover. They, I think, Clyde Drexler stole the ball. I tried to run him down. Got an open court foul, so that was two, two shots in their ball, and then I fouled out. So I didn't even get a chance to redeem myself. And like you said, that was the closest I got to uh, getting to the championship game. That was the conference semifinals. And uh, the, the 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 crazy part about it is that I think Phoenix wound up being the team of, of Portland play. And we had really played well against Phoenix. Like yeah, they tried were. To yeah, we dominated them that year. And uh, so we would have had a great, great opportunity uh, to get to the championship. And then you know how that goes. That changes everything. And so I will never forget that because of that. But I thought uh, San Antonio, uh, you know, we obviously we had great talent. We were young. Uh, and, and we had an opportunity and, you know, kind of blew it right there and, and after that. You know, I was off to another team.
1: First of all, mad respect for you openly, you know, admitting to a turnover that you made. I didn't know that. And I wouldn't have brought that up. So props to you on doing that. Not a lot of players would take accountability so many years later nah, for a mistake they made. I respect that.
2: No, nah, I'm I'm one of those guys. It is what it is. Like I don't like. You know, people scared of failures and, and flaws and all that. That's part of life. You know what I mean? Sure. So I have no, I have no, like I'm not one of those guys. I have no problem with that.
1: You play two and a half years in San Antonio. and That's where you really started to establish yourself as a really good player in the NBA. And you played for Larry Brown there. What was it like playing for Larry Brown?
2: Uh, Larry Brown, great guy, great coach. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys who, you know, he, he's real, uh, he expects a lot. Probably sometimes, you know, he expects more and more. So whatever you give him, he, he's going to expect more. So he right. can be rough. He can be rough in terms of that. But he's a great coach, great basketball mind. Uh, obviously, his track record shows every place he's gone through, he's changed things around. You know, they, they've won. I think the last place, the Knicks, which was, you know, we can't, I don't know if you can blame that on him. But if you look at any other. Uh, teams he's been he's been a part of he's changed the culture and he's changed the way the team played and they've won so it was a great experience to play for larry brown but i was young and you know now i can look back and reflect you know i probably gave larry brown a hard time (laughs) you know if i could do it all over again it would be different but uh, larry brown's great great coach and a great great person so in
1: 92
2: 93
1: you're a free agent you signed with portland from what you can remember. What went into your decision with signing with Portland?
2: Well, Portland just came off of two uh, NBA championship appearances. They lost uh, who I guess the Bulls in Detroit, I think Pistons. Yep, yep. Uh, You know, so they had a great nucleus. They had a great team. They had a superstar Clyde Drexler. You know, they had Terry Porter and Buck Williams and all those guys. So I felt like, and 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 I think that year they added Mario Eli. So I felt like me and Mario coming there, and we were coming off the bench. I thought we would give them great depth, and I thought that, you know, we would have a chance to go back to the championship. And so, you know, that year, it was me, uh, it was Mario Eli, Cliff Robinson, myself, and Mark Bryant coming off the bench. I mean, that was a hell of a bench. Yeah, it is. That's crazy. So we started off the season, I want to say, 8-0 and then Clyde Drexler got hurt. And I think if Clyde Drexler didn't get hurt, we would have had a hell of a year because we had the bench. You know, those guys were already, they've done what they've done. You know, they've been to the championship, so we know what they are. But the bench uh, with me and Mario coming in became so big, you know, I thought we had a chance to do something really, really special and possibly get back to the championship. But once Clyde went out, things kind of changed. We still had a really good year but it wasn't to say. Now you had, a, like I said, you're
1: there for four years and you had a couple really good statistical seasons. 94, 95, you averaged 18.9 points per game, 18.7, your fourth year there. How frustrating was it for you that as a player, you're growing, you're getting better, you're ascending, you know, but the team kind of stalled on. You guys never got out of the first round during that run. How frustrating was that for you, or at least from a team aspect during that time?
2: Yeah, it was frustrating, but you know, it's like, you know, when you look back and you got a team and y'all have done so much for so many years, you know, it's I caught it on the way down. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I was trying to catch, I was trying to catch it on the way up, but I think I caught it on the way down. So you know, God's getting older. You know, Clyde Drexler was traded, uh, Mario was traded. You know, things changed. Rick Adelman was gone. PJ Carlismo came in. So you know it, it was it was a change at that time, and so I was a part of that change. And you know, uh, uh, you know, we we weren't able to to, to get back to the glory days of, of of Portland and the championship years. But I had a great experience there, uh, played with some great players and some great people.
1: Now, in the what was it during the 1996 off season, you were dealt along with Harvey Grant to Washington for Rashid Wallace, who, by the way, never committed a foul in his entire career that he wouldn't admit to. <laughs> That's
2: my God. That's my God. <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: and Mitchell Butler. Now, you had some great seasons there, too, especially in 1997-98. You led the entire NBA in assists, and you made second-team All-NBA. That was probably the best year of your career, definitely statistically, and in, in terms of honors, it was for sure. What do you remember from that season the most?
2: Well, I'm going to say I remember being traded from Portland Cause I was going through a little contract situation, so I I, I didn't want to get traded to anyone anyone unless you know they were ready to to to, to negotiate. Mm-hmm. So Portland never told me I was getting traded, obviously, but I was at a friend's, uh, one of my friends, his son passed, so we were at the 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 I would would you call it the pass in the like after the funeral and the wake and everything. We were at his house, mm-hmm. so we we're all there. You know, all the kids are there, family, and we're just around talking, reminiscing. And a bunch of kids ran in the room telling me I got traded. <laughs> they were screaming, You got traded, you got traded. It's so on ESPN. Go look, look, turn. And that's how I found out I got traded. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how I found out. So I was a little upset because that would hurt my negotiation. And now, you know, the Wizards, I mean, the Bullets at the time, you know, they had my rights, or whatever. So they really didn't didn't have to negotiate with me. And so uh I wanted to go to Washington because I love the young nucleus with C Webb and Javon Howard and those guys. But I kind of wanted to do it on my terms and it didn't happen like that. So uh, it was a little disappointing and frustrating. But I was happy to go to Washington. I really was. I, I I loved the team, I loved the style of play, you know, I loved the young players they had, so I was excited. Uh, once I got over the fact that I wasn't going to get a contract uh, at that moment.
1: How, as, as someone at this point, you know, who's becoming, I'm not going to say old, but you were definitely becoming, you know, an aging veteran at the time. You played well while you were in Washington, but the team, at least like you said, there's a lot of young guys record-wise, you know, the team kind of stunk. <laughs> you know, and you're yeah. kind of getting to yeah. that part of your career where you're not physically ascending anymore. So yeah. how was, was it hard for you to deal with, you know, still being a good player, but being on a team that just wasn't winning. And eventually after Washington, I, I think were you bought out of your contract? That's when you left Washington.
2: Yes. Yes. Well, actually in Washington, I still was in some prime years early on. Yeah, oh, definitely. Last, year, last year was kind of, you know, that's when they had me and Mitch Richmond and we were kind of both, you know, on that decline a little bit. So, uh, but, but really, the, the big key to Washington was when we got rid of Chris Webber. That was the big key. Chris Weber stays. We're still a really good team. You know what I mean? And then you can add to that. Mm-hmm. But once you get rid of Chris Webber, who should be a Hall of Fame, I don't know why he's not at this point. But once they made that move, and they brought in Mitch. Nothing against Mitch. Mitch is my guy. But at that time, again, Mitch and myself, we were more in the decline. Chris Webber was a stud. Uh, Chris Webber was a stud. So once they did that, that changed the whole dynamic for the team and it was going downhill. And then another interesting thing, we had Ben Wallace there as a young guy. So Ben Wallace just came in to work out with us and Ben Wallace, uh, I never forget. He blocked all my shots. I'm like, who's this guy? I've never had nobody block my (laughs) shots. So Ben Wallace got on the team. I mean, just on a whim, like he just came up, he worked out. Uh, and they was like, man, you got to come to training camp. And we got bit rid of Ben Wallace, picked up Ike Austin, who was in Miami, I think, at the time. And I'll never forget walking in the West. I office, like, what are you doing? Like, are you serious? Ben Wallace? Are you really going to give up Ben Wallace? And uh, he said, I don't know, I forgot what he said, but it was some sort of fact, like, he had to do it or something. And I was like, wow, because I saw Ben Wallace. Whatever we've seen through his career, we saw that his first you know, first year uh Washington. We knew that's what he was. So, you know, that there were some decisions made that kind of deteriorated the team. And uh, like I said, once C Web went, it was over with.
1: So cause from there your career starts to wind down and you start bouncing around with several teams. You have a second set with Portland, spend time with Miami, Minnesota, Orlando, Toronto, and Houston. Now you had pretty good numbers with Miami in two thousand one and two thousand two know what, and I'm sure you you realize this too, clearly your best days as a player were behind you. Let me ask you this, as an NBA player, not just as a player, but as a star player, you know, one of the better point guards in the league for a long period of time, how hard is the process to accept that you just might don't have the legs, you know, and the physical skills that you did
2: when you were younger? Yeah, well, I'm going to say this to you, that career at the end and the bouncing around, I honestly think I would have had better years in, like, let's say Portland, uh, what was it, Minnesota, and Miami. But see, the problem with me, and I have to, you know, I have to be honest, I had a reputation. And so a lot of people were kind of scared to, you know, have me on the team. So I had to kind of get picked up by the teams who just was like at the last minute. Right. right? Like, man, we need something. Oh, uh, right, let's go get Rod. <laughs> so I think if, if, if the reputation and people thought differently, the ending of my career would have been different. So that's on me. Uh, because I still had, I still could play. I still could run a ball screen. You know, I still could have averaged 13 points, seven assists, you know, for those last, you know, few years. Not the last couple, few <laughs> before that. <laughs> but, but back to your point, it's very hard to, to realize when it's over with. Because you always feel like you got more... You know, that's the competitive juices. That's the competitive nature that we've had all our lives, you know, playing sports. So you never think you're done. You never, you always think you can add something. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of times at the end, your know how and your experience helps you. And that's why I played 17 years, quite honestly, because of my know how, my experience, you know, my feel for the game. But, but definitely at the end, like I look at, I look at my year at Houston. And I tell people now, I said, I was a bum. <laughs> like You know, I was a bum, like I just was. But I didn't know that. You couldn't tell me that. You know, it's funny. I went to Toronto, and I went to Toronto from Orlando. And I only went to Toronto because they had a chance to make the playoffs. And then they had, Jalen Rose was uh, hurt. My guy from Villanova, uh, the point guard, I can't think of his name. He was hurt. It was like a few guys hurt, so I was like, I'm going to Portland. Because I'm a play, and we have a chance to to get in the playoffs. I get to uh, Toronto, and all those guys were hurt. My first game was on the road against Indiana. I think I had like 17 points and 15 assists. This is like my, my the, the year before I retired. And after I had that, everybody came back. Oh, Alvin Williams was the other guy. Okay, they all came back from the injury. So all these dudes who were hurt, and the reason that I went, they all came back. So that changed everything. Now, you know, they're comfortable with them. They've been on the team. Now they play. And so at the end, it's like, uh, and I'm not comparing myself to anybody. It's like Reggie Miller and Stockton, right? They're so well-respected that at the end of their careers, when they're not the same, they still can contribute. You know what I mean? Stockton still can give you 12 points and seven assists. He wasn't the same guy he was previously, but he was respected. You know, he had a reputation and he fit into that, uh, uh, community and to that organization. So they rolled him out. You know what I mean? I didn't get a chance to do that. And that had a lot to do with, no, not a lot. It had all to do with me because I believe that the ending for me could have been differently, but I think, you know, that's kind of like self-inflicted wounds. And so, you know, that's, that's definitely. So when I, when you say, do you know when it's over? No, you never know when it's over. But I do believe I had more to give if, you know, if things were different.
1: Who was the toughest player that you played against during your career?
2: Man, that's that's the hardest question. You know, sometimes I pop up with Kevin Johnson, uh, but I can go all the way down the line. You got Stockton, you got Gary Payton, you got Tim Hardaway, you got Sam Purcell, you got Nick Van Exel, Isaiah Thomas was was there, you know Magic was there. I mean, there's so many. I'm, I know I'm forgetting uh, a lot of people, but there was there was so many guys. I had a lot of battles with Kevin Johnson, so I named him a lot because we played in the playoffs a lot. And obviously, I was on the West Coast, but there's there's so many guys, man. There's so many guys.
1: Now I'm sure you have a ton of teammates that you loved playing with. Do you have like one or two in particular that you would consider your favorite teammate that you've ever played with?
2: Well, Kevin Garnett is one of my favorite. I only played with him one year. But I'm like, I'm I'm a big fan of Kevin Garnett because I, I love his intensity, uh, his competitiveness. But he also is like one of the coolest dudes, one of the funniest dudes, a storyteller. Uh, but I watched him, I watched him, because that's how I used to, I watched him deal with the young guys. Because to me, that tells a lot about you. Uh, you know, when you're the superstar, you know, how you treat the young guys. Do you empower them? Do you tear them down? Do you try to act bigger than them? And Kevin Garnett was the best. You know, he he, he tried to make those young guys comfortable. You know, he would take care of them. He had one guy, I think it was Lauren Woods. I think he played in Arizona. I'll never forget, he used to give him his credit card. And he, he told him to check him out. Every, every road trip, check out Kevin, KG. And then he would use his credit card to check himself out. <laughs> so, you know, anything he did or used, you know, he would use the card. And I thought that was, like, super cool. But I've watched him do so many things, bring in, you know, stuff for the young guys. And, and he just took care of everybody. But he challenged you. He got on you. He was on you hard. He's very aggressive. But everybody loved him because you knew what it was all about. And so Kevin Garnett is probably definitely one of my better, uh, I mean, uh, one of my better teammates.
1: Who's a guy or two. Now, you, again, you have played in the NBA for 17 years. You've played against so many great players. Give me one or two guys that you wish you could have played with, but you never got a chance to.
2: Oh man, Michael Jordan. That's <laughs> a shock. Like was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I would have loved to play with Michael Jordan. Yeah, I know that's a shock, but when I, when I came out of college at Paul, I was hoping they'd pick me so bad. Yeah, and, uh, Michael Jordan. Uh, who else could I say? Because uh, I played with a lot of great players. Yeah, oh, you David did. Robertson Robinson, Clyde Drexler, Patrick Hewen. Uh You know, I was with Vince Carter. I was with Tracy McGrady. So I was with a lot of guys. I would have loved to play, to be honest, I would love to play with Kobe, and I would even love to play with AI. I would have loved to have been a point guard with Allen Iverson. And even somebody like Kobe, because I think I could have get, I, I think I could have got them easier shots. Sure. I think I could have made their life easier.
1: That was your job. You definitely
2: could have yeah. for sure. Yeah. Let's turn yeah.
1: our attention for a couple minutes here to today's NBA. I, listen, we we talked about Jordan already. I personally have always hated the comparison because to me, they're different types of players, but I'd be remiss if I didn't have Rod Strickland on my podcast. And if I didn't ask you point blank for some <laughs> type of MJ versus LeBron comparison, I'm sure you get right. asked this shit all the time. So compare right. it to trash a little bit. Who do you think's the, the best player ever?
2: Well, I'm, I mean, I'm from the Jordan era, you know, I've seen it, I experienced it, you know, I was in the battles with him, you know, up close and personal. So I believe MJ is, uh is the best uh well let me say this because i gotta backtrack mj you can say he's the best and i can say he's the best but i i think we skip over magic johnson too much like i won't be mad if somebody said magic johnson was the best
0: right you know
2: you know he's done some incredible things he don't jump through the air like mj he's not as athletic but he's got to be up there and LeBron is up there and I don't necessarily put LeBron over Magic and Kobe. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't necessarily do that. But if you want to say LeBron is the best, I'm not going to argue with you. I think he's done some incredible, incredible things. I think the last game kind of hurt him a little bit, just to see him out there kind of... Mailing you know, it in a little. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So I think that hurt him a little bit. I don't think you would ever see MJ doing that. Uh, but LeBron has been incredible. Like, if you start... If you just stop the comparisons and just think about the game, right, and think about all the top players. So, if you want to talk about Magic and uh, MJ and Kobe and LeBron, just think about how many things he does so well right. or great. Like, just think of his basketball mind. You know, his athleticism, his body at that at that uh, body frame, the thing that he that the things that he does. Uh, you know, scoring, assisting, rebounding, uh, he's incredible. Like, you know what I mean? I think we take away from him when we try to compare, because he's really, really like special. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. And it almost becomes a slate when it shouldn't become a slight because MJ is, you know, MJ is MJ. You know, so I don't know. I don't. I used to try to. I used to answer that as MJ, or I say Magic. But like at this point now, I don't even want to deal with like, I don't, I think, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just think you got to appreciate all of them for what they are, but please don't skip Kobe and magic out of the conversation.
1: Absolutely not. And you know, I, I tend to agree with you. Here's my thing with LeBron that I don't think a lot of people understand, you know, MJ gets drafted in the league third. I mean, everyone knew he was going to be great, but I mean, he ascended to a level that I don't think many people thought was going to be possible. I mean, he wasn't even in the first or second pick of the draft, but the thing with LeBron that's different is from when the days when LeBron was in freaking high school, man, he always already had that MJ target on his back. He was already getting comparisons. He's going to be the next Michael Jordan. I don't think any players ever entered the NBA. And this is just my opinion with more Mm -hmm. expectations than LeBron James had. And considering that target on his back from day one, to to bring a team to eight straight finals. And I know the East isn't as strong as the West. And if LeBron played in the West, I highly doubt he would have made eight straight finals, but you know what he did. And the point being is that he's done all of this while having those ungodly expectations of being the next Michael Jordan on him since being a rookie. I mean, he didn't even go to college. He was in high school one year. Then he's an NBA rookie being called the next Michael Jordan the very next year. So to have the kind of career he's had, To me, that's the best part of LeBron James is just dealing with those expectations that I don't think any players ever had.
2: No, no, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. But I just, I just think if you break down his game and you get rid of, you know, because you know, I think it becomes personal with people. Some people don't like, you know, the way he act or some of the things he say or how he carries himself in interviews. You know what I mean about teammates or you know even people talking about the cast or. I guess, I don't know if the cast or the rap, you know, but you have people saying he he deliberately showed the rap, then he tried to hide it. You know, like they nitpick at him so much. But if you really just break down basketball, he's incredible. He's incredible. You can't deny it. He's incredible.
1: Now, I looked this up. I don't know if it's the, I don't even know if you remember this. I don't know if it's the only time you played against him, but you actually have played against LeBron. I looked it up. Christmas Day 2003, you were with Orlando. I and he, you played on Christmas Day against Cleveland. You guys won 113, 101. LeBron had 34 points and 47 minutes that game. And you played 29 minutes and you had 11 points. I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember that game on Christmas, but I do you, remember. you have I do. played against LeBron before.
2: No, I remember it uh, specifically because I remember that, that night. Or afterwards, I called some people and I said, "Yo, I was like, I was, he was at the foul line and I was like staring at him because I was like this big dude, like, you know, like this is a big dude. And some of the things he was doing, like he had a grown man body from, from the door, you know, walking into the door. So I, I actually, I definitely remember that. And I don't know if that was the game. I don't know if it was LeBron or was it Carmelo, but Tracy McGrady kicked the ball up in the air and got uh, got teched out of the game. I'm not for sure if that was, it was one of those two rookies, but LeBron was ridiculous. I I, I definitely remember that.
1: (laughs) One more LeBron question. I'm moving a couple other things here. Where do you think he's going to play next year? I I mean, it's pretty obvious it's not going to be Cleveland. I think even Cleveland fans are resigned to that fact. If you had to take a guess and I mean, a lot of things could happen, but what's your gut telling you? Where do you think you might see LeBron next year?
2: Yeah, I don't even really have a guess. You know, obviously he has options with the Lakers, with Houston, with Philly. Uh, but, I mean, his options are wherever he wants to go. Uh, but we do know he's going he's gonna to find a team that has a chance to win. So all you got to do is direct yourself to those teams. And, uh, you know, you can guess on it. But I really don't know. I mean, the Lakers situation with Magic Johnson, you know, being in L.A., uh, that kind of atmosphere. You know, for LeBron James, I would think that would be a great atmosphere. If he can bring Paul George along with him, like some of those young guys, they're going to become instant contenders. Now, you still got Golden State out there, so that's a problem. Uh, You know, if you stay in the East, you talk about Philly, but I don't know if he fits with Philly. I think Ben Simmons has to have the ball in his hand. I couldn't see Ben Simmons spotting up to shoot shots, you know. And so where, where that may look good in the regular season, I could see that being a problem, you know, in the playoffs. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. They talk about Houston, uh, and you have that dynamic of James Harden and Chris Paul having the ball in their hands and needing to have the ball in their hands. Um, so it'll be interesting. But LeBron, no matter what, whatever place he steps in, that team becomes a contender. Sure. So I say, so even me talking about could he fit in Philly, if he goes into Philly, they're a contender. If he goes to L.A., they're content. If he goes to Houston. So he has options, but I'm not for sure.
1: I think, you know what? Cleveland this year in the NBA Finals, they got swept. It was. It, it, there was one team was so much better than the other. To me, I think this year gives a real appreciation for just how good Kyrie Irvin was and what he meant to the Cavs. Because that wasn't the case the, the two years before this, when Kyrie was out there, yeah. it didn't feel like one team was way better than the other, and it didn't feel like it was imminent. I mean, Golden State was a better team; they're one of the you know top teams ever. And we'll talk about that in a second, but just how much Kyrie Irvin what Cleveland meant to them because they didn't feel like they were as overmatched this year. It felt like there was it was a no-brainer what was going to happen. Which, by the way, not a lot of people know this, but you're godfather to Kyrie Irving,
2: right? Yes. What's your yeah. relationship
1: yeah. to his family? How how does that come about? That's a pretty cool deal, man. Yeah.
2: Well, let me go to the first of all, before I get the other one. But uh, LeBron, first of all, I don't believe Cleveland was a championship team, so. I don't believe they should have even made it to the championship. Right. So the fact that they did it, I think that's a big, like that says a whole lot about LeBron. You know, I thought Boston would beat them, and I know they were they were inexperienced, but I just didn't believe in that Cleveland team. But obviously, Boston' inexperienced show. But Cleveland is not that good of a team. They, all year they've been terrible defensively, right. and they were terrible defensively. You know, in the championship series, so they're not good. So LeBron had to do a lot to get that team to where it was. Now, when you talk about Kyrie Irving, you could talk about Shaq and uh, Penny. You could talk about Kobe and Shaq. When you have two special players, you better figure out how to uh, figure it out. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, like you, I, I think this is another example of you can't let egos and, and I'm talking players and I'm talking management. I'm talking everybody. You gotta be able to figure it out. You can't let something special get away. Kyrie Irving is special. People get all caught up in, you know, they listen to media sometimes and listen to reports, and and they kind of start devaluing people. Kyrie Irving is special, and you can't let that go. So if there's a problem, you gotta you gotta figure it out. Like if I'm, I gotta figure it out. I gotta keep Kyrie and LeBron together. And so, you know, that's, that's, that's something that's food for thought in the future. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, Kyrie, I've known his father since third grade, you know, we grew up in, uh, basketball with each other, grew up in the same AAU program, you know, around the neighborhood, spent basically every day of our lives, every day, probably spent more time with each other than our families growing up, you know, just, uh, so, you know, we've known each other family. Uh, that's family. Uh, you know, that's family. I'm, I'm so proud of, of what's going on with him. Dedrick played at Boston University. He was a great basketball player. If he was playing in these days, the way things are now, he may have been a pro. Back then, you had to kind of go to the top programs or you weren't going to be seen. People weren't going to find you. Uh, but uh, great family. Kyrie's a great kid, special talent. Oh, but yeah,
1: that's definitely family. It's a shame what happened on this year because Boston straight up beats Cleveland if Kyrie's on the floor in the playoffs.
2: Absolutely. No, there ain't no doubt about no, it.
1: No no doubt about it at all. And I would have loved to have seen, as much as I love LeBron, a, a healthy Boston Celtics team. If Hayward and Irving, don't, Kyrie don't go down. Them in Golden State, man, that would have been fun as hell. And speaking of Golden State, how do you think they stack up after winning their third title in four years with some of the great all-time teams? You know, like, the Bulls of the Jordan era, the Magic Johnson Lakers, you know, the Pistons, right. a couple other teams like that. How do you think this team stacks up compared to some of these all-time great teams?
2: I mean, you have to put them right there. I mean, they keep stacking up rings, you know, they have a great, they have a great uh, nucleus, you know, two two of arguably the greatest shooters that can play the game. Uh, and then you got a seven foot mismatch that can, that can do it all. And then you got a you got a utility guy like Draymond Green, and then you have a bench. You know, people, Sean Livingston is incredible. People forget how special he was before that injury, but it, it goes to show, again, and I heard LeBron talk about having uh, basketball minds on the court. the State has basketball minds on the court. Sean Livingston is one of those guys. Uh, with With the injury he had, if that was another player, they may have never seen the court again. Because he's such a special basketball mind, he's played all these years. He's on Golden State. You know, they had Eagle Dollar. But you got to you got to put him up there with the, with the greatest of the greatest teams. And they're not done. You know, if they get another one next year, now what you said. And they, if they get another one after that. So they're definitely up there. I, I would love, you know, I'm sure people talk about who could beat who. Uh, but it would be interesting. It would be very interesting because this era is different. You know, this era of three-point shooting is different. You know, the game is played differently. We played it inside out. Uh, Now it's outside in. So, uh, you know, it's different.
1: Is that the biggest difference? Because I was going to ask you that. You're a player. So you see the NBA differently than fans and media, most media, because you've played in the league for so long. So you know the game on intimate levels and most don't. How do you feel about today's NBA compared to, say, you know, 10, 20 years ago?
2: Well, it's different. I mean, it was more physical. It was more banging back then. Uh, you played inside-out, so you tried to post the ball and then you spaced the court. Uh, 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 you know, for the most part now, you know, you run on a fast break, you're looking for a three-point shot. You know, we're taking layups. You know, you penetrate and There's a wide-open layup. You're looking to pass the ball out to the three-point line. So everything is a three-point shot now. Uh, so it's different. The court is open and spaced. You don't have the big men, the big post up guys in the middle of the lane clogging up the lane. Uh, so it's different. It's different. I mean, even the physicality—you can't get up on guys. You can't put your body on guys. Uh, so you know that gives a lot of room for penetration and offense. Uh, so it's it's, it's different. It's, it's definitely a whole different ball game. It's, it's, the court is more spaced. Uh, the big man is. Basically, a non-factor. You know, now you're you're basically a rim runner. You're a screener and a rim runner and a shot blocker if you're a big guy, or or you're a pick and pop guy. So the, you know, the game has definitely definitely changed.
1: How's post life NBA been for you since you've retired? Post NBA life, how's it been for you?
2: It's been good. I've been uh uh I've been lucky enough to when I first uh, retired, I had a chance to to get into college coaching. Uh, started out in Memphis with, with John Calipari, went to Kentucky, spent eight years with him, and then after that, three years in South Florida. Yeah, I, I, I coached for South Florida for three years. So I've been out of college basketball for a year now, and I've been doing some TV, some radio. I have a podcast uh, called Strictly Speaking. Uh, you can find it on the shadowleague.com. Uh, you know, talking to some teams and and universities about possible job situations. So uh, just just trying to figure out the next move.
1: Let's end it this way. I do this with every guest I have. I have a little mini lightning round. What I'm going to do is just ask you a handful of random questions. Not too much. They can require whatever pops in your mind. That's going to be your answer. All right, cool. All
2: right. All right. Got you.
1: Who's your favorite non-NBA athlete?
2: Favorite non-NBA athlete? Well, my favorite non-athlete of all time is Muhammad Ali, for sure.
1: Favorite non-basketball activity to do?
2: Uh, I don't do a lot, man. I'm kind of, I'm real plain James. Like, I don't do a lot. Every now and then, I like to bowl. Oh, I like, and I love softball. I haven't played in a while, but I would say softball, man. (laughs) Nice. Favorite city to visit? Uh, favorite city to visit. I'm not living there anymore. I just want to say Washington, D.C.
1: Musically,
2: what do you like listening to the most?
1: And I'm, I'm going to go on a limb here and say when it comes to music, you're more of an old school guy. I definitely am. What about you?
2: Absolutely. 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 Old, old school, Jay-Z, Biggie, Tupac. Nice. Nas, Those type guys. The locks, you know, a lot of New York. Second last question here.
1: If Twitter sent you a message and said, Yo, Rod, you can only follow one person on Twitter and one person only, who would you follow?
2: Oh, my God. One person only. Right, I got it. one person only. I'm trying to think who's on Twitter that's funny or. Uh, right, let's go to Snoop Dogg. Just for the pure entertainment value.
1: Oh, I, I, I follow him, so I already know what you're talking about. <laughs> Last question here. You can have three dinner guests from any era. You can sit down, have some food, some beers, have a discussion, whatever at your table. Dead or alive, any era. Who you got?
2: Uh, Muhammad Ali, Warren Buffett, and probably Lewis Farrakhan. All
1: right, folks. He's Rod Strickland. Again, 17 years in the NBA Rod, I really appreciate you taking time doing the podcast. I'm going to have your Twitter handle, your podcast, all that stuff in my show notes. Thank you very much for coming on this podcast. It's been a big honor. I'll tell you, man, New York City point guards, literally, I'm I'm not just saying it. You, Kenny Anderson, Dwayne the Pearl Washington, those New York City kids when I was growing up, man, that's what it was
2: all about. So
1: I'm really pumped to have you on my show, and I really appreciate your time.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it. Anytime. I enjoyed it. With
0: to the victor belongs to sports. Why don't you get the fuck out of here before I shove your quotations book up your fat fucking ass. The customer is usually a moron and an asshole.
2: Okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine, but then...
1: Alright, let's turn back to a little Buffalo Bills talk. I got something else here. Mark Gaughan from the Buffalo News tweeted that, and I got to say this guy's name right, Owa Odigizua Odigizua was getting some first team reps in place of Shaq Lawson this past week at OTAs with Trent Murphy being limited. Let me ask you this, man. Is Shaq Lawson the next non-Sean McDermott guy to end up going before this season starts?
0: Well, the first thing I'm going to say is if we ever have to refer to that dude again, I will just call him the dude we got from the Giants, just so you know. So so that's who I'm referring to, you know, when I say that, because I'm not gonna give his name a try. As far as Shaq goes, you know, I mean, that's on the heels of an article about, you know, how how good he's looked and how focused he is and and all those things, you know, and, and so it's it's in contrast to that and goes falls back in line. With, um, with how we think they saw him at the tail end of, of last year. I still say, and we've both thought this as it relates to the defensive end position, I still say there is something up there, okay? Either they feel as though, you know, they have uh, a- a assets that they can move there, be it Hughes or Lawson or something like that, and they added this depth, in anticipation, uh, of that, but what the hell, what's the value on him right now? It's like, I wouldn't cut him and I wouldn't go Reggie Ragland on him. You know, if I got to hold on to him for another year, uh, try to move him inside on passing downs, see what I can get, uh, you know, in that regard, uh, or at least, you know, get some God, get some film on him. Well, cutting him.
1: Cutting him, not to cut you off there, but cutting him is not an option in terms of a salary move. That's not happening. I mean, the guy, if they were to cut him, it would cost them money against the cap, not to mention like around $6 million of dead cap money. So I don't see him being cut as an option just because of the cap alone. It just doesn't make any financial sense whatsoever. I'm talking about dumping the guy for a sixth or seventh rounder. That kind of get—I feel that vibe for some reason when it comes to him right now.
0: Yeah, it's it's too early for me to really get that uh, get that feel. I I need to see. um, I I need to see where he fits in, in training camp with you know with with real live action coming at us. I know it's worth bringing up. You know when there's when there's depth chart movement even this early. But I, I just, I'm I, I'm not ready to take any leap on on Shaq quite yet.
1: It doesn't mean anything right now, but it's just something about, he just fits that mode of all the guys they got rid of last year. Just not a McDermott guy. There's not a lot of non-Sean McDermott guys left on this team. Shaq Lawson, a first round pick for Whaley, is clearly one of them. So I just, I don't know, man. It's just a hunch in my belly or something. I just get a hunch that this guy's going to get moved before the season.
0: Well, I mean, we're pretty, we're, we're, we're coming up on, on, uh on mandatory mini camp and, next week. This and I week. think, yeah, I think that, uh I think that's worth, you know, that's worth watching, but you know, you got, you got a limited Murphy. So, you know, and, and from what I read, like a, a Day or two after the, you know, the gone tweet, you know, they were they were tinkering with uh, with Lawson on the inside. So, I, I you know, I'm going to I'm going to I'll put a little more stock in the mandatory minicamp coming up than I will. The uh, the voluntary ones that just passed.
1: Sure. And you know what? To be fair, all the moves that happened last year, they all started when once after training camp started. Watkins dumped, Darby dump, all that stuff. And I remember it because we started thinking, what are the bills fucking tanking? didn't turn out that way, of course, but it felt that way because all this shit started happening during training camp. All right, we'll leave that there for right now. I do have one more Bills thing for you. Jason LaCanfora, who's probably my least favorite NFL insider that's ever walked the face of this earth, he's a Bills hater. He published a list of 10 quarterbacks that he thinks are under the most intense pressure this season. And he had A.J. McCarron on it. I mean, you have to be fucking kidding me. (laughs) AJ McCarron is a guy who's clearly, and this is at best a temporary placeholder for the highest drafted rookie in Bills franchise history ever on a roster. Literally, no one expects to be a playoff team this year. We talked about that at the opening of this podcast. And Jason Lacanfor is calling him one of the 10 quarterbacks under the most intense pressure for 2018. Dude, I'm shaking my head at that shit. Seriously, you think AJ's under any intense pressure? Does anyone really expect that much of him for him to be under intense pressure? Don't you have to have expectations for someone to be considered under intense pressure?
0: Yeah, that's a uh, you know that's a bit of a reach. Fucking stupid. Um, <laughs> okay, okay, it's that too. Well, look, you know, in in lock on four is defense, you know, he is taking over a, a playoff team from last year. So no matter what, you know, Monday morning quarterback wants to say about, you know, bill's record to be, you know, McCarron is taking over a team that made the playoffs last year in an effort, you know, to upgrade the position, even though not the, you know, the upgrade isn't really in McCarron it's in the future with Allen. So, you know, I, I mean, you could see it to some degree, but I'll tell you, I, you know, and I don't know exactly how Lock and Fora worded it in terms of you it was know, negative. Expect- yeah, well, I, I mean, in terms of expectations for the team versus what McCarron has riding on it. OK, because McCarron's sitting here with a bridge contract right now. All right. He's got a two year, 10 million dollar deal. And, you know, this is this is really going to dictate whether or not he can take a step that some people thought he will, you know, he was going to take in this off season. I mean, it it was not unrealistic, you know, to think that McCarron was going to be in the conversation for, you know, uh, you know, like comparable um, contract terms to like Sam Bradford, you know, but Bradford gets the one year 20 and, You know, McCarron got the scrap. So McCarron is playing for, you know, one big boy deal in his NFL career. So in that regard, for himself, uh, albeit probably not with this current team, it's a big, big, (laughs) it's a big season uh, for A.J. McCarron. Or else he falls by the wayside and, um, you know, he maxes out you know, at at a backup salary. Or he uh or he gets that deal that some people thought he was gonna get this offseason. So in that regard, I can I can give Lock and Poor a, a little uh a little wiggle room uh if if he played that up at all. But I,
1: I accept your logic for the most part, but knowing him the way I do with his history of how he writes about the Bills, dude's just trolling Bills fans. I'm telling you right now, AJ McCarron's not one of the ten most under-pressure quarterbacks in the NFL. You know who is? Dak Prescott. Jimmy Garoppolo with the big money he got. Uh, Ryan Tannehill to keep his job. I'm not even looking at those, I'm just running shit off in the back of my fucking head right now. Aaron Rodgers coming back from an injury. Kirk Cousins with his monster contract. Derek Carr, is he going to bounce back? Is Big Ben done? Is Tom Brady, Is, is he has seen his best days. It was Jared Goff for real. Is Mitch Trubinsky worked the third pick in the draft? Is Deshaun Watson as good as we think he is? Those are fucking quarterbacks that are under intense pressure. Not a guy who might not even start in week one for the Buffalo Bills. Just absolutely bullshit, insane article, in my opinion. Let's get off the Bills. You don't have anything to add to that, do you?
0: That's a nice job, though, man. It is, because I ain't got no notes. That's a that's the I mean we're what are, what are we in the second week of fucking June and and you were able to uh you know to pull all those quarterbacks and their current situations um you know off the top of your head that's, yeah that's man disgusting. that's a good job and honestly what what do you expect from Locking for he's got to troll somebody he's a fucking Orioles fan and that fucking team absolutely butchered an otherwise pretty good roster so he's got to be fucking annoyed by that.
1: Let's talk Sabres for a couple minutes. We haven't been doing much of that. That's going to change pretty soon, by the way. Ryan O'Reilly may be on the trading block per many rumors that I've heard from many credible places. I can't think of them off the top of my head, but I know that it's picked up a lot of steam and it seems to be serious talk. Do you think he's going to end up getting dealt and should he end up getting dealt?
0: Um, Yes to the first question. I mean, where there's smoke, there's fire and it's everywhere. I mean, his name is just everywhere. So you got to think that that's, uh, you know, that's coming from somewhere, somewhere credible. The should he get dealt part, boy, that's a tricky question because, you know, if, if it were just on talent alone and not, you know, team makeup, whether it be, uh, chemistry or, or just, you know, the style, you know, of, of play, he's really the only tradable asset you have if you want to get faster. Okay. All your other slow guys suck. All right. He is the one slow guy who doesn't suck. So if you want to get faster, you got to get out slow guys and you want to get something for them. If that's at all possible, because you know, guys like Akposo Who's slow? He, you know, he's, he's untradable. I think he's not. He's not tradable. Reinhardt's slow, but he's he's young. He won't fetch that much, and there still might be a lot of upside there. You know, O'Reilly just it, he he fits the bill perfectly in terms of you know what uh, the the sort of shakeup that everybody seems to think this team needs. You know, it always. Ends up um, becoming a Ryan O'Reilly and Rasmus Wistelain, um you know, uh, conversation. So you got to think it's 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 time.
1: Next Thursday on the podcast, I got Chris Baker coming in from Sabres prospects. I'm sorry, a week from Thursday, so on the 19th, Chris Baker from SabresProspects.com is going to be on the show a day before the NHL draft. He's going to talk Sabres and hockey. You know this. That dude is encyclopedia of hockey knowledge, especially when it comes to Buffalo Sabres prospects, not just Rochester, like guys around the
0: world. Dude, man, um, there are very few people that I hear are coming on a show and I will like sit there and listen through a commercial or just make the sort of mental note to make absolutely certain that I'm tuned in at that time. And, you know, I just to just to give you an idea of how much of one Chris Baker is, I may very well listen to my first-ever Moran Analytics podcast next Thursday.
1: <laughs> Dude, Thursdays from now, I was wrong. It's the 19th. Quick thoughts on the Washington Capitals finally winning the Stanley Cup?
0: You know, I wasn't as enamored by it as a lot of people were. Like, oh, man, uh, so great. Obi oh, deserved one and da-da-da. Uh, you know, yeah, okay. I mean, he's a very good player who... You know, finally got his ring and seemed genuinely uh ecstatic about it, and and that sort of reaction. Is, dude is busted.
1: partying this weekend. He's, he's going hard. hard,
0: dude. Yo, he's getting it in. <laughs> he's he's definitely getting it in. But you know, it it it's it's uh, it tells you a little bit about just how random it can be. You know, in the hockey playoffs, sometimes. I mean, this is a team that you know they have had they they've had deadlines where they were so active they've had off seasons where they were so you know that where they were so active and just when you felt like the window was about to close on them you know they 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 get their foot in the door and get their title it's it's really hard to predict the NHL Playoffs and um, and I'm just I'm I'm glad it was the team that had suffered through so many playoff defeats to finally get their cup than the um you know than than the first year wonder team in Vegas I I wasn't I didn't have a ton of animosity towards you know Vegas's run or anything like that but I I I did want to see a team that's paid their dues you know come out on top so. I'm cool with it other than the fact that it was kind of a very so-so five game series and couple that with the NBA sweep and we didn't really uh we didn't really get much in the uh in the, in the way of the uh championships this past couple these past couple weeks.
1: Yeah, my my much shorter thought than yours is I just don't give a shit. But you did <laughs> you did mention Golden State and that Fair. I do give a shit about. I want to talk about them for a quick minute here. They sweep the Cavs. Could have, game one should, you know, Cleveland should have won that and they could have won game three. But that was just one team clearly better than the other. Anyone with a set of eyes could see that shit. You know, all this talk about LeBron and where he's going to go next, it does it really matter? Name me a team in the NBA where LeBron can go to sign any of the other teams in the NBA besides Golden State, where when he signs on the dotted line on July 1st at 12.01 a.m., you tell me that that team is now better than Golden State. I don't think there's a team in the NBA that LeBron gets signed with tomorrow that makes them better than Golden State.
0: I think you're fucking crazy. I mean, if he signs with the Rockets, they're better.
1: No, they're not. You know, see, I don't think he's that good of a fit on that team. He needs the ball more. Chris Paul, Harden, as much as they need the ball, I don't, even think, I don't think LeBron's a good fit for that team. I know that a lot of people think that. But, you know, if he goes to Philly, Ben Simmons has got to become a shooter, and he's not a shooter. I still say that his best situation is going to be the Lakers if he goes there, which I do think is going to happen, by the way. That's the kind of team he can grow with. They got good shooters. He could take charge of that team. I just don't see it in Houston, man. I don't see him Harden and Chris Paul being a a good combination. I just don't. And even if he does, you still think they're better than Golden State?
0: Yeah, I I, I do. I mean, I I see a team in, in Houston that, to be honest with you, was a game away, you know, sure, I, mean, they were, I,
1: I agree with, I mean, they were a Chris Paul hamstring away. I agree with that, but I don't think, Le- I don't know, man. I also don't think Golden State played that well in, the, in that series either.
0: No, nah, I mean, you're right in, in that regard. And, and it might be, um, you know, there might be a better fit out there for, for LeBron, because I, I forgot that, you know, that, that Harden, you know, Harden's okay with the ball in his hand too. Sometimes I, I I think of him strictly as a scorer, but you know, he can be a facilitator too. You know, it's, it's, it's tough with, uh, with, with three guys, it's tough to play through three guys. So, you know, maybe that's not the fit. It's going to be the story of the, of the summer though. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm cool. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with, uh, with just that part of it alone. Again, I'm in, I'm in this, uh, you know, my passion for sports is, is, is selfishly based upon my own entertainment. So we'll have the Sabres, uh, you know, uh, moves and, and free agency and trades and stuff like that, you know, to keep our, uh, keep wetting our hockey whistle. And, um, and, you know, we should have some pretty active hoops happenings, uh, as well as we both try to scratch and claw our way into, uh, fantasy baseball relevance during, during the dog days of summer.
1: Shit ain't happening for me. <laughs> Random couple quickets quick hits here before we wind down. Thoughts Jim Kelly winning the Jimmy V award, or I'm saying he, he's going to be presented with the Jimmy V award at the ESPYs next month.
0: So incredibly deserved. Um, I was, it really bugged me when, when he was passed over, you know, a year or two ago, he's been through even more since I, I just, I can't think. Of a, of a more uh, deserving recipient. And I'm sure it will be a night and a speech that will, much the way it was at the Hall of Fame when he talked extensively about, uh, about his late son Hunter. I don't know if Hunter had passed at, at that time. I don't think so. No. But regardless, I mean, you know, Jim, you know, his, his ability to, to knock those moments out of the park, you know, it, it it should be a great night.
1: I do need quickly your take Terrell Owens gets in the hall of fame and now he's going to become assuming he follows through with it. The first player ever, the first living NFL player to get voted in the hall of fame to not show up in Canon for his induction. You got any thoughts on that?
0: I think is a big giant phony. Uh, you know, the, he's my quarterback crying bullshit. I've, I've, I've always thought he was a phony. Uh, the, the little fuck you to the NFL on, uh, on their big day. I, I, as, as someone who likes to, you know, to give the man a little fuck you himself, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. You know, he waited longer than he feels that he should have, you know, this is how he chooses to, uh, to celebrate his day or to, you know, do send whatever message he may want to send by virtue of it. I don't have a problem with this particular decision, I'm just not a big fan of the, uh, of the player or the personality.
1: You know what's funny? We're going to wrap this up now. And I told you, we're going to start at the end of our segment each week, having an unpopular opinion. You know, I see it on Twitter all the time. So unpopular opinion, analytics podcast uh, segment, whatever have you. But I kind of think you kind of gave that to me already with Terrell. Do you actually have another unpopular opinion to end this segment?
0: Well, I actually dawned on me today as I got you know, stuck in a, in a vehicle, you know, driving for a decent distance without my my playlist or my Spotify. So I, I was you know channel surfing on the radio, which it seems like it's been forever since I've done. And it hit me that I don't think I have ever, ever stayed on a Genesis or Phil Collins song on the radio, hugely overrated band, hugely overrated performer. He's got some slow songs that are good, but I fucking hate slow songs in general. So I <laughs> I give no credit for that. And I thought about that for, uh, for this segment. So I, I'm not sure which take, uh, you know, is, is, is the one to make the official take either the, uh, you know, the, the T O part or, or the Genesis and Phil Collins part. But, um, that's, that's the one I had going in before, before the TO conversation.
1: All right. I think it's time to wrap this episode up. We'll wrap it up and leave it with you distant Phil Collins, which I think is a fucking terrible, stupid opinion. I'm my way out though. I want to give a shout out to former UB defensive end, Damone Harris. I've had him on this show before. He's doing a really good job down here in Tampa at OTAs as an undrafted free agent. I've read that he's gotten some reps with the second team at OTA, and he'll be in the mix for a roster spot in training camp this summer with the Bucks. I'll be watching that closely, and I'm really excited about that. So, Tone, as we leave, you got anyone you want to give a shout out to?
0: Uh, No. Dynamite drop in money. That broadcast school has really paid off.
1: Okay, that's a wrap for this episode. Big thank you again to Rod Strickland. One of my favorite players from the 90s. My favorite era of NBA hoops in the 90s. Big thrill for me to have him on. And I loved how candid he was in talking about his career. Not just his ups, but especially his downs. So I really appreciated that great interview. A great guy and a great basketball player. Of course, I want to thank Tone Pucks for popping on. For some Pat with Pucks. I always enjoy that. Coming up on Thursday's podcast... I'm joined by Mark Sessler from NFL.com and the Apple podcast charting around the NFL podcast. We'll be talking his career as well as some NFL talk and of course, some Buffalo Bills talk as well. Speaking of Apple podcast, I really need you guys to go on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to this show. It's absolutely quick. It's absolutely easy and it's absolutely free if you want to be a hero and leave me a five-star review and all that other stuff that's great but whatever i only really actually care about you subscribing it really helps this show in a lot of ways you can also follow me on twitter because that's fun at pat moran tweets for that have a fun safe week everyone talk to you again on thursday really appreciate everyone listening. You guys are the best around. Nothing's ever gonna keep you
2: down.